All right, so we are uh, looking at um, uh, for, uh, more more stuff around uh, the kind of thing we've been talking about over the last, I think, one or two uh, episodes, um, which has been which has been good. It's a, I like it because it's really in my wheelhouse right now, and I think it is just relevant. Thank you, Gospel Coalition, for putting out a little topic and making me feel. I feel I, I loved reading that. Uh, we're going to be talking about this Gospel Coalition article. And uh, some of James White's response to it, and um, uh, what is is it the Alpha and Omega? No, it's the is it is the uh, Apologia Radio. Apologia Radio, that was it. So just no, some of the. A, is it Apologia or Apologia? What's the right way to say it? They said the wrong way. So. Ah, okay, cool. Well, I would say Apologia. Got me there. That that would be my instinct. So, okay, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. But um, it's an Apologia, like the right way to pronounce it. They call it Apologia, whatever. Depends on your Maybe. pronunciation system, brother. Mike doesn't care. He just, he just pronounces it the way that sounds coolest. Yeah, exactly. Can I just state so, for clarity that the article's name is The American Culture is Broken, Is Theonomy the Answer, which is published on March 31st, 2021. Right. By, where's the dude's name? Dory, Andrew Dory, T. Walker. Dory, Dory, I'll put it, I'll put it on, uh, on the show notes. I'll, on the no, thing. you won't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll be the day. Uh, he's the associate it? professor of ethics. Yeah, there we go. And yeah. he's, Baptist, and he's so. doing a PhD. At the, yeah, he's doing a PhD. And his PhD think, is um, liberty for all, defending everyone's religious freedom in a pluralistic age. I think that's done and dusted, okay. isn't so it? You could see. I think, I think you did that already. That's past tense. Oh, it's a forthcoming volume. Sorry. Yeah. So he's yeah. going to release a book. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So yeah, I've already pre-ordered that. By the way, that's uh, oh, there you go. on the Amazon waitlist. So Look at you. Um, Look at you. Mm, mm. I'm looking forward to reading it. It sounds good. It sounds like he's just done some that that broader reading, which is always helpful, just to get some guys, you know, sort of synthesis on all of that. But anyway, um, so there, it's just a great little article. Uh, I will slash won't post um, that on the show notes, but just go and check it out. Um, so yeah, where should we start? I mean, it's uh, it's kind of. Do you want to do some thoughts on? Well, maybe on... we should start with the article, and then we can then we can have a look at uh, James White and Jeff Durbin's response. Uh, what did you guys think of the article? What did you think of his uh, analysis of theonomy and his putting forward of two kingdoms? Well, some of the stuff I want to say might actually start better the other way around. If we start with uh, some of, of James White's. You've got to know, Nick, that the moment you recommend a way forward, Mike's going to choose the opposite. You have to know this. <laughs> as Everything long as we go, is reverse psychology for Mike. As, as, long, as long as we're going in a I don't certain... know, Mike. What do you think we should do? <laughs> well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> You've got to anticipate this, Nick, and you've got to say the thing that you don't think you want to do, and that's the thing Mike will go for. So true. So true. <laughs> I've lent this many, many hard years. <laughs> it's got nothing to do with the, any any objective basis. It's purely reverse psychology. Mike will do the opposite of what anyone else suggests. It's a pretense of politeness. But, right. for, but for me, for me, it's important, right? So it makes sense. So uh, what, what I was going to say is just like, basically, you know, you've got, you've got these guys that I, you know, when I, when I see James White sitting there, you know, with Jeff, Jeff Durbin, and uh, I didn't know there's other two people around the table, but you know, I just, the, I I didn't the, say the other dudes, one of the other elders. Other, okay. Yeah. So, you know, what I appreciated about them, just to start it off on a, on a really good kind of note, I suppose, is, you know, when you think theonomy, I mean, 
it conjures up some images, right? It's just it, you can't help it. You've got the, you've got the super uh, hyper conservative Presbyterian men in suits with very thick plastic glasses. Exactly, you know, yeah. and and you know, it made me realize how much of my issue is just to do with that cultural baggage. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm almost absolutely okay with the army if they just don't wear the stupid, you know, suits and stuff. You know, I just, this I does, just. This episode is revealing a lot about you, Mike. Well, I, you know? I'm not. I'm not hiding it. You know, I'm not hiding it. I, th I think if it um, looks cool, it's much, much more possible, much more well, feasible. It, it, you know what it does for me? It's a street credibility thing. I think that's what it is. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about it. I think it's just that that I trust people that aren't going to get all weird on me. You know, uh, more. Mm. Now, it's it's not that I'm saying I'll wholeheartedly just put my life into their hands and so forth, but I'm just saying that. There's not that if there is someone that like I remember you know Nick and I went to India and is there, there's someone trying to drive this agenda making all these Indian people dressed like white people and you know like Western people from the fifties and of some fundamentalist yeah. culture you know I don't trust that there's something wrong with that out of the gate there's something that's going on there that I feel what's what's going on here this is not normal you don't even live in my world what's happening you know. Now, uh, same same thing with you know maybe in the fifties in, in fundamentalist you know America, that would have been a bit more in context to see guys like you know whoever uh, they were pushing the the theonomy agenda. But but you know here we are, and I see these guys, and I'm like okay, they, they, I immediately just see a bunch of noble guys like me, uh, trying to do the best they can do, really really going for it, and uh, they care about the Bible. There's no doubt in my mind they love the Lord. They are out there doing what they can. Uh, they're following their convictions for all intents and purposes. It seems like a healthy kind of pastoral scenario there. Uh, we've got the added bonus of, of having spent some time with James White and just 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 kind of getting to know him a little bit. And, you know, I really always appreciated his um, intellect, his straightforwardness, his, uh, you know, he's, he's got that behind the scenes gentleness thing going on as well, which I appreciate. Um, you know, so it's just... All of that was helpful to me. It just took me off guard and said, "All right, I want to hear what these guys have to say." And um, and again, you know, Jeff Durbin. I haven't really followed his ministry at all, uh, to be honest. For for one or an, right. another reason, I suppose it's just the apologetics thing. I haven't really uh, followed him. I know many people do, um, but you know, he seems very articulate, very very. Uh, I like the way he he doesn't he hasn't gone along with you know he hasn't molded with whatever was expected of him when he became reformed and so forth seems like he's he's adopt he's swallowed the reform pull hook line and sinker without you know buying into some of the extra baggage which is you know i i just can't help appreciating that so it's it's very similar to what i see guys like joe thorne doing what i'm trying to do uh what i would like more pastors to do i just appreciate that because i don't think all the baggage helps sometimes so there's that um so you know i'm hearing him and i'm going okay wow you know, here's a baptist who's you know clearly not culturally conservative you know as a, as a sort of normal inclination and bent and yet he wants to go theonomist he's he's being he's reading rush Dooney, he's reading um you know bonson and these guys and and uh i want to know more you know what's 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 making you tick um and you know, I suppose that's all by way of preface to then coming into the Gospel Coalition article and, you know, just 
seeing the big slam and, and you know these guys suck everyone sucks suck 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 and it's just you know you can't i mean obviously you're going to react to that you know so if i'm go back to the the apologia uh, room and there they are and obviously they're just gonna i mean you got james white sitting there and you got i mean they're just gonna rip yeah. into it so it's it's in some ways it's kind of a setup for a bit of a disaster i was waiting to read a very bad article on the basis of their critique i know true and now and and then we get to this final little thing i want to say i thought the article was amazing I suppose that puts me well, maybe right just back to, there. Yeah. But maybe just to come back to, to where something, because I also, you know, I read the article first. Okay. So I, I read the article, then I watched the, the response to it. And I read the article and obviously I, I agreed with it. You know, it was, it was a good article in my opinion. Um, yeah. But it did lay the smack down a bit. And that kind of thing is always going to, uh, get a reaction and create a bit of heat. And I wonder if maybe, you know, contrasting it a little bit with the Gary Williams thing that we did, where Gary Williams is 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 very much approaching this as a kind of intra-reformed, yes. you know, yes. polemic. Good point. Um, that actually, look, we're all in the same camp here. We're just fine-tuning exactly how we're going to go about this whole thing. Whereas this one, at one point at least, certainly seemed to imply that this was a barely evangelical view. The difference, though, is that yeah. we're not talking neo-Calvinist. Although theonomists at some level want to think of themselves as neo-Calvinists as applied to the political sphere, but but really we're not talking about neo-Calvinism in any typical sense. We're, we're talking about something that steps over those boundaries with theonomy, right. you know, uh, no neo-Calvinist normally, you know, if you just if we could just allow that taxonomy for a moment, um, no neo-Calvinist would, would want to see mosaic law instituted in the way the theonomist is arguing for. Right, so, right, right. you know, at that level, you, you're running into a it's, profound... It is pushing it more and more on the extreme. Right. And so the continuity, discontinuity thing, as um, Walker points out, is dead on. And, and you know, yeah. beyond that is the law gospel thing, because, you know, you start smudging things at that level what is your basis for difference between law and gospel? Seriously, you know, uh, you could, you could try and sort of push that through, but just seeing Bonson's writings and there, yeah. you know, I've got some things that I would, I think the guy would, should have said, uh, Walker should have said, and yeah. perhaps should have brought in that he just completely left out. Well, um, well, this is, I think just, just to come again. So there's nothing wrong with laying the smack down in a, in a theological article that can be very appropriate, but, mm -hmm. but, but in an article, that's a kind of where you know you're not going to have the space to then articulate and defend that properly. Because you're not, I mean, it's a Gospel Coalition article. So I think, you know, when when you're watching the Jeff Durbin, James White reaction, um, you, you, I mean, you have to fact, it, you're never going to have a comprehensive essay on a Gospel Coalition site. Like, no. it's just not, it's not where you get that. You get general introductions to topics you know and 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 that's not going to dot all the i's across all the t's and and so i thought their their reaction was a bit unfair in the sense that they had to adjust their expectations but right. again maybe if you're speaking in such strong language in a space where you know that you can't provide all that information maybe that's unwise yeah. well the other thing though is that um one of the, you know, actually, what I was really surprised by is is that, you know, again, you got James White and Jeff Durbin. These guys are pit bulls, you know, in terms of what they can do. We've, we've seen them in action in debates and so forth and out there in public settings. They were very restrained, very kind, I thought, ultimately. They actually didn't overreact, which I was, I was pleased by and impressed by. They said a few things in response, sure, but 
I didn't find it to be like, whoa, you know, there they are just like, you know, causing havoc and chaos and so forth, which, you know, I was, again, just, just pleasantly surprised. Well, they called the article by. pitiful and they suggested that he hadn't read any of the Well, I mean, the, the guy, I mean, I mean, Walker did like use the word fatal like it was a swear word. So I was just, I was, <laughs> this is my point. If you, if you throw that stuff in at the beginning, that's what yeah. you're going to get out. Right, fair enough. But I mean, that. in light of in light of the, the 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 smackdown, I mean, it was it was pretty gentle. But but then the other thing is just that um, you've got, you know, one of the things maybe we'll get to. But I just want to put it out to your front in case anyone else resonated with this. Is that, I, you know, the more uh, Jeff Durbin was talking, especially and yeah, actually James White as well, I realized that that they are. I mean, they they're definitely uh, around that theonomy. They they're thinking about. Uh, post-millennial thought they're they're around it they're they're um they're reading it they're imbibing it they're trying to do it but they're not saying the same thing as yeah. a lot of uh, did you pick that up as well uh, yeah. so there, there was a they really are more actually neo-calvinist applied to this, uh, the political sphere based on that that reaction um and, and maybe i don't have let me give my impressions yeah, so you know just having listened to james wife for years don't know jeff Durbin and all but um having him I think James White has mediated Jeff Durbin throughout the years in various ways. But it seems to me that there are three issues. So, and I think we could be happy with one or two of them together, but it's usually the collaboration of all three that that critique that came up. I think Andrew Walker said, um, just read, looking for the bold headlines, he said, there are criticisms so severe that theonomy should be repudiated as an evangelical framework. Yeah. So let me show you what the three things are. So on the one hand, you have post-millennialism. Now, can a person be reformed, Christian, post-millennial, uh, even an elder in our congregation with us? Amen. Not a problem. Jonathan yeah. Edwards was a post-millennialist. Uh -huh. You know, he led this uh -huh. huge prayer program because of his post-millennialism. He may have had an optimistic view and maybe a slightly too literal, but John still Gill. metaphorical. John Gill was a... Yeah, like a exactly. pre slash post millennialist. BB Warfield, you know, let's yeah. check in all the big names. Post millennial, we love post millennials. We want, you know, I, I, I learned to hate dispensationalism. I was, I was cured of my dispensationalism from a post millennial, Lorraine Because it's kind of like an optimistic amillennialism. Exactly. Uh, you know, yeah, I was, yeah. I was, I was uh, introduced to partial preterism by a post millennial, Marcellus yeah. Kick. Yeah. You know, so I, I've sat at these guys' feet. So maybe now's not... a good time to tell them that you're a neo Calvinist, though. <laughs> so post-millennialism is not a problem but that that's that's close to yep. the family then you've got a second issue which is theonomy now yep. that's the distinct view of the civil law of israel being yep. applied yep. and the marriage of these two things can look you've got a whole spectrums of views to how these two things come together hmm. and even that's not so bad i mean uh, and just this is where i think james white and jeff durbin are at you know they they, they doug wilson as well Let's fulfill the Great Commission by going out and preaching the gospel. Anyone disagree? No. We expect that God's going to cause worldwide revival. And when governments start to be fulfilled by Christians and Christians want to get involved in government, hand them the Bible so that the Bible can help them sort out their laws. Does anyone disagree? <laughs> exactly. No. And, and it's no kind one of like, disagrees well, you know, one thing that John Frame said about, um, uh, about Bonson that I really appreciated, um, I thought he nailed it because you read Bonson stuff and it's just like, guys, we're just Bible believing Christians. So we just really want to take the Bible seriously. And, and uh, you know, as soon as he gets cornered on what it might look like to take the Bible seriously, he always pointed forward to this glorious eschatological future where, you know, 
well, semi-eschatological something, something in the future where everyone's just kind of like for Jesus exactly. and loves the Bible. And and Frame said, you know, it's it's disingenuous to do that because, you know, every Christian, it's the blessed hope, really, that you're that you're playing with around, uh, you yeah. know, so everyone believes that that's coming somehow, somewhere. But we want to think about how that needs to work now when it's not quite that situation yet. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, to the degree that they're just spelling out that hope in some general form. I mean, amen. You know, everyone's amen. there. And yeah. so, you know, I hear J James White, Jeff Durbin, they're optimistic, they're active, they're concerned, they're wanting to be positive. They're wanting to start with the gospel. They don't want to compromise that. They want the gospel to do the work. They want the gospel to break the ground. They want the gospel to cause people, Christians to rise up in politics and get yeah. active and then not use natural law, but use something better, the Bible, to start reforming those governments which post-millennialism is envisaging. Mm -hmm. And, you know, who can disagree with that? I don't, you know. Well, <laughs> but, every, but that, everyone, yeah. it's, so just on that point, like everyone wants to use the Bible too. This is one of the big things. Like everyone wants to use the Bible to put into place something. So let's say everyone becomes a Christian. Now we've got Christians in government. Amen. How do we move forward? Well, no one's going to say don't use the Bible. But the question exactly. is, like, what does the Bible say we should do? Uh, you know, is the Bible creating a space for natural law yes. at that point? And so so that's where you yeah. get hardcore theonomists who'd be pushing for death penalties on the first four commandments and, 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 and. Right. And. So they're saying. So you've got, you got variations on a spectrum there. And maybe uh, Durbin and White would position themselves differently to Barnson. Right. You know, like uh, I think someone like Doug Wilson would say something like, not all sins are crimes. And so it not all like sins should be given uh, penalties. In. Yeah. Sorry, what was that? It seemed like they went all in with Rush Dooney. No. Well, uh, I mean, they, they, uh, they no, didn't. Yeah, he did. He did specify he doesn't completely agree with Rush Dooney. So he did. Yeah, I mean, he's Rush Dooney's well, down with like okay. uh, Maybe I misunderstood. And... I heard him say the opposite. I heard him say, I agree with everything he's written. No. No. no, no I, I mean, him. having read Rush Dooney. Well, uh, let me get to my third point. Here's, he here's the issue. I mean, so far, we, you know, we, we, I think we could be pretty happy. You know, we could maybe want to, you know, push back on some of the, the government stuff. Mm. But then the third issue, and this is where it gets for me, and this is where I've, I was frustrated with James White and Jeff Durbin. Mm. This is where I was frustrated with Andrew Walker. This is where I feel he didn't go. And this is the third issue, which is mono-covenantalism. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So, so you've got but, but, yeah. theonomy and mono-covenantalism. And these three things are distinct. And it's when they come together and people like Barnson, people like Boot, things like Federal Vision, that we begin to have the law gospel issues coming to the foreground. And then I think the critique that Andrew Walker quotes fits. At this point, Jeff Durbin and James White don't think it sticks to their particular view. And, and personally, I think it's possibly because they're ignorant of that third element. They haven't, they haven't gotten down to the foundations yet of what's holding up the whole scheme in, in a lot of people's minds. So yeah. I, I was frustrated that neither of the, the, either the article or the response tapped into the gospel issues but but that's just me yeah no absolutely well i suppose when i was, was saying I, yeah and that's a great point and worth saying in light of this particular podcast and what we're usually on about <clears throat> you know the, I, I suppose when i came at that gospel coalition article i wasn't ex you know you see a guy's from southern baptist seminary you're like okay well you know it's, it's not not he's Take probably, it from where it comes yeah yeah exactly so i'm not i'm not expecting him to bring bring the uh, the gangster covenant theology there but um but you know d working with with a basic sort of evangelical framework i found that that he did well um but yeah you know in terms of <laughs> you might even say uh, i'm on that point we're in, in, more in agreement with uh, jeff durbin uh in seeing the thing as as really kind of missing everything that needs to be said you know certainly from where i'm sitting i mean you know, Klein's whole 
like launch against the enemy was was based on law gospel and covenants you know and Amen. eschatology and so so it has to be you know like the for example you mentioned the post-millennial thing but and eschatology plays into as we've said before this issue of of covenant theology but but the the thing that i think um you know klein majored on and obviously was just nowhere in this article which is the all-important point is that when you have israel you have an eschatological intrusion Amen. you know and, and what what that is you know essentially is is it's mapping out covenantal discontinuity so it's overlapping with the covenantal thing you're saying take the situation that was given at that point and understand that that situation is part of the reason we interpret that covenant in a certain way and it is you know this this the way that we interpret it is via this uh, lens of intrusion but you know uh, on and on we can go about that but the, the point there is that then we're going to stop looking at israel as as something that we could model it's like saying you know let's let's uh yes. you know do the flood over again or do you know exactly but but it is interesting as well that you know i mean james white did make a few statements that you know just coming back to your comment there that he might have been ignorant i mean firstly I, i've seen some pretty awesome essays written by james white on covenant theology mostly in in connection with the pedo baptist baptist debate and uh 100 in agreement with everything you said in the past he hasn't really spelled out any i mean maybe i could go back now and see some of that but but uh, there was no mono-covenantalism that, that I could pick up on. No, I, I wouldn't accuse him of being a mono-covenantalist. Right. So, and, and also, he was profoundly aware of, of, of the, the issues at play and uh, the problems you know, that, that emerge when you just sort of take on a hermeneutic that doesn't see continuity. So I think, I think you know, he, he, uh, he has all of those uh, things down. Um, and what he was saying, a few things that he was, uh, just some comments that he was making there showed that you know, I think he was, he was getting the critique concerning Israel and the unique nature of Israel. And he had obviously read through some of Bonson and Klein's uh, interplay where Bonson himself said, all right, I'm seeing what Klein's saying here about, about Israel being unique, but I'm just saying that that doesn't make it, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a false dichotomy and that it doesn't, it, for me to admit that it's somewhat unique doesn't mean I have to give up what I'm talking about here as well. And so I think, I think um, uh, White was saying a little bit of that in, in his uh, response there. Um, but I think where that, you know, th that's worth pressing on because I think that's been done before. That's been really nailed in. And, um, and you know, again, White mentioned that, um, you know, there's been this whole big re response that that book by Barker and Godfrey, um, you know, that the reformed critique of, of theonomy. Uh, I mean, those are some heavy hitters. They've said pretty much the same thing, and he is right to say, well, you know, you, if you read that, you, you, you really are going out on a limb if you're disagreeing with all those voices. But they all are, are pushing more or less on this point at some level. But Klein was the one, in, in my opinion, that really came along and said, all right, here's the big issue, uh, this matter of eschatological intrusion, this this matter of thinking about, about um, covenant theology through this means of republication and so forth. And... Um, and, you know, what, what, what that leaves them with, and I think this is where it needs to be, is they need to be the ones that are explaining things like um, Joshua's conquest and so forth. If they, if they want to imbibe all of that, then, I mean, you would think that the first thing that a theonomist needs to do to go, hey, whoa, 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 you know, don't, don't shoot me, is go, here's my, here's my um, 
here's my deal with the conquests and here's my deal with all these crazy things that you know uh, Israel were called to do that we just simply aren't called to do as the church we're not called to kill unbelievers yes. uh, you know but how how are they going to substantiate it Bonson's case wasn't sufficient I think you know I, for me it's really I feel it's like convincing. You go back and and you look at Bonson's response to Klein and you know the back and forth and you I mean this is he just he can't the best he's got is basically well it's, we're not going to kill the unbeliever now you know but when we got majority when we got you know the the the, the thing in place when 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 the gospel has uh, you know taken its roots so to speak uh, then then we'll kill him you know. <laughs> uh, Klein asked the question: What do you do with the person the Christian who becomes an apostate? I know who has yes. all the information, all the knowledge, and then now, he commits. You know, is 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 idolatry a worse crime than abortion? Is yes. is idolatry a worse crime than murder? Exactly. If, if murder is allowed to get the death penalty, surely idolatry, which is a worse crime, should be getting the death penalty as well. Exactly. And so the first four commands of the Ten Commandments become yeah. very difficult to uphold. In a theonomic now, now help context. me help me out with this because to me this seems so so totally obvious. That if you go down this line, you not only have to, well, it's going to ultimately lead to the end of religious freedom, um, which is something that if, if history has shown us anything, is a line that we don't want to, we don't want to cross, right? So the, they must have, they must have a response to this. Do you know what it is? Yeah, well, you know, and also just on that very point, before I forget this, is, is that they were making constant reference to the Puritans and and so forth and you know this this has happened in history but i think one of the big things that that um uh it's godfrey's essay in that book that, that we were talking about earlier the reform critique he points out that it's yeah sure you got theocracy all over the place in christendom and whatnot but no i mean no one's saying what the anonymous had said they were saying you know the net uh, the mosaic law was uh, an amazing demonstration of general equity and natural law but now uh, you know it was unique and we have to if we want to make use of any of those laws we have to justify it by way of general equity and natural law we you know so it only is incidental that we're using that law rather than something uh, primary or a go-to and so um you know i mean that's a very different rationale from the theonomist so i, th I found like that's where i would want to push back on their talk a little bit because or, or their response and just they they're, they're talking with one another you know, wait a minute, guys, are you saying that, you know, are you saying what, what Kelvin said? Are you saying what the magisterial reformers said? Are you saying what the Puritans said uh, for the most part? Well, if that's the case, well, you know, that's the standard, that's not theonomy, you know, that that's, yeah, sure. It's theocracy. Uh, it's, it's an attempt at theocracy. It's a kind of theocratic theology, but yeah. it's not, it's not what Rushduni and, and Bonson are arguing for. So that's what I found like, okay, are they even theonomists, you know? Um, and, maybe maybe there's something they would want to uh, clarify there yeah. but anyway and maybe they've got their own distinct version yeah. of it that they're working out they think they've got something positive to say and do and they want to just yeah. be moving forward right but i mean just to maybe comment on the article i mean i think andrew walker covered four important things in the article you know mm. he did talk about the distinct way in which the law governed israel which you've mm -hmm. mentioned earlier already mm -hmm. um he then also spoke about the triumphalism the army can fall into he also spoke, spoke about, about the difficulty of consistency. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then he also spoke about how natural law is the only plausible way, mm. not theonomy, not mm -hmm. uh, God's law, because of some of the difficulties you've already mentioned. 
And he brought it, I thought the good point that he made there was that um, he did mention the Noahic Covenant. He didn't bring in a full-scale theology, but he, but he mentioned Van Druden and the Noahic Covenant. But he mentioned also that natural law precedes the the, the revelation of the Mosaic law. Um, you know, that, that that's something yeah. to consider. So, uh, so just one of the things that came out, um, you know, Jeff Durbin was commenting on the Feinberg-Bonson debate. Mm. And Bonson asked the golden question, you know. By what standard? No. By what standard? Why is it wrong to have sex with an animal? Yeah. And, uh, oh, I've got nowhere to go except for the Bible. Um, yeah, true. what was going on with that? So yeah. Noah knew that it was wrong to have sex with animals, but he didn't have the Mosaic law. Abraham knew it was wrong to have sex with animals. In fact, every culture in the world knows that bestiality is wrong, even though they practice it. Mm-hmm. They even know that murder is wrong, even though they practice it. But there's, you know, and it's, yeah. it's not yeah. because the Mosaic law says that it's wrong, that it is wrong. And so that's just an argument for, for natural law, having a, a contribution that God has been through common grace using natural law to cause governments to prosper, that law and order has been in place. It hasn't been anarchy except in Israel. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. No, I found that to be quite a, you know, what are you guys even talking yeah, about? And that, that's, that, that, and that's, that's to say nothing about the fact that there is correlation between the Mosaic law and other ancient Near Eastern laws. You know, not yeah. total correlation. There is some cultural is appropriation. Oh, sure. Yeah. There is I mean, some accommodation yeah. due to hardness of heart. There is some uh, progressive revelation where laws are not are still being worked out towards better laws. Absolutely. Yeah. Same with problems. Yeah. Same same sort of dynamic. You know? Yeah. But, but, and um, I think here's the strength of the theonomic case, and this is this is what this is what I like about it. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we we live in the age where people are scared to stand on the word of God as the word of God. They're scared to talk about inerrancy. They're scared to talk about the jot and tittle yeah. being yeah. inspired. And w- what I think theonomy has is that they have guts and boldness, mm-hmm. and they're willing to stand on their convictions. That you know, they're willing to pay for their convictions by saying everything in the word of God is God's word. And they take those portions of the Old Testament, which says the law of the Lord is perfect. The law of the Lord is light. It's honey. Mm. It's, mm. it's, you know, in your light, we see light. And they're, they're trying to honor what it is saying. Mm. Um, yeah. The prob- and, and, the prob- and I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I agree. And uh, appreciate And then I suppose falls into much of what I appreciate about their general ministry you know they're just going out there with the word and, and they care about it and that's worth emulation uh, worthy of emulation i would like to do that myself i'd like others to do that you know so don't want to uh, be seen as as knocking that or anything like that but i think this comes down to the the age old we've mentioned this so many times i don't want to beat a dead horse but i think you can't really because this is the thing um you know it, it's even when it was something that klein said that i think is so important that is that even when it comes across as zeal for god's word Here's the bottom line. When God has set a cultic boundary in place, you know, and you go, no, I don't think that cultic boundary should exist. I mean, you know, and you're you're zealous about it and you're (laughs) zealous about it in the name of God's word. There's such a deep irony going on there and it's profoundly irreverent. It's not, it's, you know, so I think that's one of the things I've, I've really wanted to say again and again and again is this debate is not about who gets to apply the Bible, you know, or who gets to, uh, see the lordship of Christ or his sovereignty. You know, no one, no one is denying that. And everyone wants to see that. The thing is, the question is, how do we do that in light of what God said? You know, so it really is a matter of exegesis yeah. and a matter of interpretation. Because if God has said, don't do that, and you do it anyway, in the name of God's word, I mean, that's really just not a good thing, right? And so what two kingdom guys, what Kleinian guys are arguing is that God has very clearly said, 
through things like the Noah Covenant. And, um, you know, again, let's not spread, spread the whole argument right here and right now again. But, but, but you know, we've got a solid case to say oh, from our heart, we believe that it's not a timidity, a timid, uh, timidity is what I was trying to say, timidity or a fear of, of not wanting to confront anyone or anything like that. It's, 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 it's coming out of Jesus' words saying, my Amen. servants aren't going to fight right now, you know, because my Amen. kingdom is not of the world. We all want to fight. Every one of us want to pick up our sword and cut off that guy's ear. That's the point, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and we, you know, and it's like, no, don't do that because we're putting the ear back on right now. And do you see what we're doing there, Peter? And, and, you know, we're all Peters. And, and it's just basically, it's a matter of going almost against our intuition. We're a bunch of Caleb's and Joshua's. We want to go in there. This is our time. Let's do this. You know, Christ for King. Amen. But, you know, uh, now we're in Babylon. At least we hope that that's the case. We hope that that's what, I mean, I yeah. think the suspicion from the part of theonomists like Durbin and White is that in actual fact, we're much more like, or evangelicals today, or even reformed evangelicals today are much more like the, the guys who came back from the promised land saying, I, well, I would agree. I would agree. And I would agree with that critique. I mean, I just heard today, uh, heard yesterday, got a friend up in Christchurch who spoke to a principal of a Christian school, which shall not be named, that the trust board is putting pressure on him as the principal to become gender inclusive as the Christian school. So, but yeah, hang on though, the danger is out there. But anyway, but, but no, okay. So, uh, you know, in reality, we're saying that both are in both camps. I mean, obviously, you know, so ever, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, theonomists have the, the people that are abusing God's word and people that are genuine and so forth. And, so, you know, it's the same. Obviously, we know this. But, but the point, that's not the point, is the whole point. Like, you know, you can't go based on this theology of your look at your courage for God's word. And based on this theology, you're, you're trying to hide away and timid. No, both are, are, are trying to, in their best representations, uh, honor the word and, and honor God's sovereignty and honor his reign and and really either withhold and wait or, or you know um, whatever it is so so I think you know it just it gets lost it's such a simple point but it just it yeah. gets mm. you know thrown into the vortex and thrown around and and so if, if everyone just stops saying you know hey you know you're you're being um, yeah. kind of a, a you know you should be zealous like us instead of half-hearted right it, it just imagine how much <laughs> how much karma everything would be you should you know? honor the bible like us instead of like following man's laws right yeah. <laughs> one one good example one good example of that was they said and i wrote wrote this down as a quote that it came from the mouth of god therefore we should apply it today yeah like in, in regards to the mosaic law you know it came from the mouth of god therefore we should apply it today and, well, and again the question is how like, yeah nobody's and this saying is, nobody's saying yeah. no yeah, this no is the number one uh, rebuttal. Words, yeah. I mean, you see this over and over again. Everyone just takes, I mean, with Bonson, there he is. He's written his Theonomy and Christian Ethics. Boom. Everyone gave it a good read. This is the number one problem. You can't do it. Because as soon as you start saying this, any level of, oh, no, no, not that word. Hang on. That word's fulfilled. Yeah. You know, you start playing around. All of a sudden, you've I mean, got nuance. I was having a conversation with someone the other day. This is what I said to them. I said, look, Christians can't agree on how to, how to read the law. But you want to teach unsaved governments to read the law of God. There we go. And, you know, coming back to what Andrew was saying earlier there, you know, in light of, uh, I mean, the irony was, uh, you know, there James White was talking about, uh, you know, Christians killing other Christians and, you know, Baptists being drowned and so forth, which, I mean, hey, I feel and that sucks. And that's real. And uh, we can do it. Church, the church has done it and can do it again. And so it's not, it's not beyond the realms of possibility there. But, but the whole thing here is that, you know, if, if somehow 
under certainly under Rashduni or Bonson's dynamic, you eventually the gospel takes root and you are able through a majority to put in this um, this constitutional element, you know, based on the Mosaic law. You know, uh, by what standard becomes the operation? The, the the question. Okay, so you know, whose interpretation of that standard are we talking about? Because it did not sound good for synergists in terms of what James White was saying. Uh, you know, you could almost imagine us going all the way there, and now all of a sudden, Roman Catholics, synergists, all those, all those people that are, are not quite uh, simpatico with um, with theonomy the are in real trouble. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Baptists. I don't know. Would Vantel? At least would uh, would uh, Bonson have made place for Baptists? I'm not entirely sure that he would have. But but you know even beyond that, I mean, I, you know, where where does the line? You know, even just within Christianity, you can't pull it off. You know. Um, so, so you see, this was interesting because they kept sort of parrying the kind of the kind of attacks from the article by saying, "Oh, we're not talking about this kind of um, what was it like a sacralism." Uh, you know, oh no, all all that stuff, all that stuff in history that you're talking about, that's sacralism. That's not theonomy. That's not what we're talking about. But I yeah. still want to know if, and I'm 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 not entirely convinced by that. Like I, I, so there might be a distinction, but in practice, you know, what period in history are you going to? And I know yeah. that they are going to the to the the Puritans mainly. But again, even in that situation, you know, what's his name? Um, Boot had. Oliver Cromwell on the wall behind him. Now you talk to the Irish about Oliver Cromwell. Yeah. You know he's not a hero in everyone's minds. Mm. So again, what 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 history are we going back to here, where we can say, ah, here's an example of where this worked. Mm. You know, mm. it's literally unprecedented. You've you know, and I I can't see how it would stop short of anything other than a full blown kind of Christendom view. Um, because uh, you know, I don't have the quotes on me, but um, if you uh, where's this? I think it is in um, Theonomy and Christian Ethics, or by what standard? The one he wrote before Bonson. I'm talking about. It was that big book. P people who know Bonson will know what I'm talking about. Um, and uh, it, it, in some place there, he. He, he does map out, you know, he's dealing with objections all the way through that book. And so he's trying to respond to them. And uh, at some point he he does kind of deal with this whole like, okay, so what are you going to do if, you know, are you going to kill unbelievers? Like, is that really what you want? You know, and he's going, no, 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 blah, blah, blah. Here's what we're talking about. Sophisticated policy setting in place and everything. And, um, but, but then, he, and I've quoted this in my dissertation because I was like, oh, that one's not going unnoticed. Uh, you know, th there's this whole area where, where he's saying, um, you know, anything that's basically against theonomy is going to be considered subversion. <laughs> you know, it's, Enemy it's kind of, of a, state. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. Uh, of course it would be. How could it not be? You know, so, so that means anyone who is just a two kingdom guy now all of a sudden becomes an enemy of the state. And we're not, we could be 100% orthodox in Christology and gr agreed on all the points that matter. And yeah. just because of this random periphery thing, now all of a sudden we're enemies of the state, according to that. So if, if, you know, I, again, like we, we're not in the room with James White and Jeff Durbin, but, uh, you know, I'd love to say what they say about that yeah. or if they would go to that degree. And I think each one would have a different answer. Mm. Yeah. yeah, but uh, uh, before we sort of end off, I wanted to get your feel because I want to, I want to look at one verse with you guys, one Corinthians fifteen verse twenty six. Um, I found it. I found that in all of these discussions, whether it's Boot, Wilson, Durbin, White, you know, they're all talking about um, 
the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And so mm. the way they take that verse to mean is that, you know, uh, the leaven leavens the whole lump and Jesus through the gospel, Christians revive and then Christians start to impact society and they fulfill the dominion mandate. And then, you know, the Kings of the earth come to Christ and then he returns Mm-hmm. And that's when death, the last enemy, gets conquered. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that verse is, is, is being used to serve. Well, if death's the last enemy that's conquered when Christ returns, that must mean that all political structures have already been conquered prior to Christ's return at the second coming. So that's the post-millennial view, and that's one of yeah. the proof texts. Yeah. So I thought maybe it will be good for us just to interact with that verse. I've got a few thoughts, and I'd love to hear what you guys think on it. Yeah, hit us. What was the verse uh, okay. again, Nick? So 1 Corinthians 15, verse 24 to 26. So it's uh, the well-known portion where uh, Paul is talking, comparing Adam and Christ. And he says, um, then comes the end when he, Christ, delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. So, you know, the interpretation is Christ is busy. He's waiting. He's subduing. And then when he comes again, that's when all the saints resurrect from the dead. So that's where death's destroyed, it appears, according to their interpretation. And so if the last enemy is destroyed at the resurrection, that must mean by implication that all the other other enemies were conquered before the resurrection, before his second coming. So that's the way the post-millennialists put it. So um, I just wanted to give a few reflections and love to to hear your thoughts. But uh, here's Revelation 20, verse 14. Um, And so basically, as I was just just mulling on that verse, chewing on it, I thought, well, when is death defeated? You know, what does the Bible say on this? So here's uh, Revelation 20, verse 14. Uh, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So here is an amillennial response to that post-millennial mapping out of events. So second coming, Christ comes. With the, the saints who are in, in the immediate state, the trumpet sounds, the dead in Christ will rise first. While those in the intermediate state, everyone's glorified at the same time. There's the resurrection of the righteous and the unrighteous to stand before the judgment. It's at that point that every knee shall bow. Every, every tongue will confess. My understanding is that there's going to be no one who's going to be able to stand in the presence of God with the you know, pitting his will against God's will and, you know, not bowing the knee until the very end. Oh. Just the very presence of God is going to overwhelm his, his creation. You know, when he reveals himself, creation flees away. Mm. You know, there's, no, there's going to be no standing up to God on that day. So every knee is going to be bowing. Every tongue is going to be confessing, either willingly or unwillingly. Mm. So my understanding is at that point, every enemy is conquered. You know, and death, when, when is death thrown into the lake of fire? It's at this point. And so we see the resurrection first and then death being thrown to the lake of fire in John 20, verse 14. So the last enemy to be defeated technically is death. Um, but it's uh, we're not saying that it's at this point, but it's at this point. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, yeah. And what you're fleshing out there is really just like almost a 
two-age sojourning basic eschatology thing you know it is but i just yeah. uh, i just i just found that this verse was being thrown around as a slogan and when yeah. things when, when yeah. things are thrown around as a slogan it's basically you're appealing to your base and there's just a you know there's a there's a, a system of, of ideas that you're quickly yeah. appealing to yeah. just quickly yeah. just reasserting again just quickly reasserting again just quickly reasserting again and it goes as an unquestioned assumption yeah. i just wanted to re-question the assumption yeah you know, what is the totally. sequence of events and when is death finally overcome? Well, and and it, it does remind me also of, of just what we were talking about earlier with the intrusion of Israel and the eschatology there and, and so forth. I mean, you've got, you know, if, if, if uh, and this is a point that's been made before, so we're not saying anything too different or profound here, but just just that, you know, if, if God has said, okay, listen, I'm going to judge at the end. I'm going to do all that stuff that you've been talking about. Um, and you're these little moments that show what that's like these little intrusions of that final reality but here's what i'm saying like noe covenant etc when you live don't go kill everyone you know don't go just don't feel like you need to execute some sort of uh, theonomic judgment everywhere you go as christians live in babylon seek the peace of the city so forth um when we when we ignore that obviously it's disobedience to god's word it's really an irony that we're trying to exalt god's word and then just dis disobey it at that level but but I think the the other thing, just pertaining to to what you're saying here, is that we're 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 truly we're we're bringing in an illegitimate, we're we're hastening uh, hastening an eschatology. You know, we're we're trying to bring the end in before before it's 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 ordained to be. You know, yeah. And so, and that's really I think that's just it's the old overrealized eschatology. It just really is. You know, the, the so, question that that came into my mind just thinking about the the triumphalistic aspect is doesn't this aspect of you know finally fulfilling the dominion mandate and finally doing what adam failed to do as christ enables us it seems to me that the church becomes second fiddle yes as the dominion mandate is actually the goal absolutely not the church. couldn't agree more couldn't agree yeah. more and so the church gets sidelined the great the, the great commission is a means to an end and not actually at the whole thing that we're about now well and that's the thing i mean because you you, you know and like and i appreciate what that they're saying that they they're not against evangelism and, Amen. and you know so so we get that we we get that they say that they they want to do what the local church is the great commission and so forth but we're saying that from where we're sitting you know it it, it seems as though um not only are they sidelining the church or whatever but but at the worst case scenario as klein put it i mean they're actually they're they're shooting for a, a landscape that's di diametrically opposed to what this age is about. Not only in, in in allowing for a time in which to interact with unbelievers, because I mean that's like not on if you get if you get everything in place here. Yeah. Uh, but but also you you're, you're seeking to bring the end in before God has ordained it to to be wrong it, manifestation of the kingdom. Yeah, yeah, you really are just forgetting the time of mission. You're forgetting yeah. the time that we have now. You know, before the end to yeah. to uh to it's a time of in. god's patience where god doesn't judge people with death but he gives them an opportunity to hear exactly. and as soon as you start saying that the, the law of the land must be the law of the king god has to start killing sinners and i know that what, what they say is well, wait a minute you're taking our, our yeah. tool of common grace away in the sense that you know they interpret common grace mostly as as uh, not so much like we would like you've just stated it there but but um that that the law is in place to restrain you know through governments to restrain evil and so allow for a sort of a more congenial atmosphere until that end or, or at least until some sort of triumph but but the, the the issue there is that um 
there is a fundamental logic problem. You know, it's it's like saying that, I mean, that would work, as Moo pointed out, I thought very well, uh, that whole idea would work only if that's the only place that you could get God's law, you know? If God's law was only available through special revelation and the Mosaic Covenant, then I think they'd have a real point, you know, that that there would be a way to, 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 to you know, for, for uh, those who are put in place to govern countries, uh, if the only way that they could do that in any way that, that held any level of, of light in place was through the Mosaic Law, they'd have a point. But that's a, that's a logic problem because that's not the case. You know, it's not the only revelation that we have. There is general, general revelation. And um, there is this law written on our hearts. And there is uh, this fallen reality that we still have access to. Uh, the, the, you know, natural law in some way, shape or form yeah. is, is, is there. And I love what Matthew Tuninga said about Calvin's view. God is working through common grace. God is working through providence. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that's causing science and maths and geography and biology and education, all these other things to spring up. It's not man on his own without the power of the Spirit. As Chris, as Chris God Kai, working through common grace. Yes, Chris, Chris Kai is always saying, like, whose covenant is this? No, it's speaking about the covenant of common grace. You know, whose covenant is it? Whose is it? <laughs> it's God's. You know, he's the, he's the one who's, who's administering. And that's where we get the idea of a kingdom from, the two kingdom thing. He's administering, call it what you want, a government or a kingdom, but it's his administration. It's his work. Yeah. It's his preservation. It's all. He him. is sovereign. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, these are serious things to overlook and just, you know, pretend, pretend aren't there because it really means that you start forming your own plan. And, you know, it, really what you need to do with this, though, is get down to where I, I found the most helpful thing in working through it was just to actually go to Bonson's book and to look at some of his Old Testament because his major cases drawn from, I mean, before you get to like the Beatitudes and and uh, and some of what Christ says about the law not not passing away and so forth, the big thing is drawn from the Old Testament prophets as they as they sort of seem to be condemning the neighboring nations uh, by way of special revelation, not general revelation. And you actually follow those argumentations through and you see all of them are flawed. I don't know. For me, it was just very, you know, you could get there. It wasn't, it wasn't out of reach for anyone that just wants to go and look at it. You could see, ah, he's actually leaped yet. This is not what I think is true. This is not. And it just becomes almost like an accumulative case that all before you know it, it's just this big thing like, oh, you know, God's law and this and that. But it's more, it's more nuanced than that. It just is. Yeah. And so you have to you have to look at those texts carefully, which we're not doing here, of course, but uh, is worthwhile and uh, worth the time. The issue yeah, for is me, just... it's the monocovenantalism. It's not the theonomy as they try and give a high view to law and even try yes. and apply it to government. It's not the postmillennialism as they try and evangelize in order to bring about those governments. It's the it's the covenant foundational structure which upholds and redefines the church and its mission and engagement with culture. Yeah. And even beneath that, I would say the minor covenantal thing, you know, you end up with a law gospel problem. Like Bonson went shepherd's way. That's the bottom line. And he didn't go there by accident. That was because his theology was pushing him in that direction. And, um, you know, that that's bad. You know, that's that's Amen. just very clearly bad. So I don't know. You know, hopefully we, we don't have to prove that at this point. Good. And the triumphalism is a problem as well. Yeah. The, the, tri the, the triumphalism of of 1 Corinthians 15 that's not read in the context of 1 Corinthians 4, you know, that I think that's a, that's a problem. You One know, of the so things that I appreciate I mean, about, I didn't, didn't say it earlier, but. Sorry, go for it. Sorry. I've got a massive, a massive lag on the, yeah. on the internet here. So I, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm missing, missing out on, on big chunks of the conversation. But anyway, the, uh, the, the thing 
that I was going to say is 1 Corinthians 15 has to be read, you know, Paul's vision of what his ministry would look like in 1 Corinthians 4 mm. is not a triumphalistic one. And so mm. I think, you know, that's, that has a bearing on it, but it's that whole mood, that posture, mm. that's a problem. But, mm. you know, and, 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 and it is a big problem because it, it goes to the very nature of discipleship and, mm. and, and what, mm. and what our, our, our stance should be, mm. and our posture should be as we travel through this life. For sure. Amen. And, you know, that's one of the things that I thought Walker did bring out well, the theology of glory, theology of the cross. He was he was bringing out a lot of Horton's thing there and yeah. and Luther's thing. And I think that that's good. That that needs to be said. Um, it's a huge point, actually, on its own. It's down to the cross. And and why aren't we fighting that Jesus, Jesus being crucified? You know, I just keep coming back to that text. I can't help myself because, I mean, there it is. I mean, it does not get more. You no, think about right. bad culture, yeah. you know, like, is it worse is it, a, is it a worse or a better culture when Pilate tries to kill the Lord of glory? You know, like, is that, I'm just trying to, is that worse than where we're going or better? I, I would say that that's probably the, the absolute zenith of how bad it could be, right? The lowest and, point in history. And, you know what I mean? And, and at that point, there is no transformationalism, you know? Yeah. I mean, like, um, maybe that's, that's something we really need to pay attention to. You know, and, and, and then, you, then you are I mean, that I, I, one, one other thing we... we one other thing we, we we didn't we touched on but didn't quite get into that we won't be able to do t today but maybe at some future point is just to, like, the, the whole theology of how discipleship happens as well because yeah, yeah. you know and, and I'm thinking specifically about the role of the law within discipleship yes but also just you know the the is discipleship happening primarily by word and sacrament because the way that they related the kind of the the great commission, and this kind mm. of project of, mm. of this theonomy project, sometimes work, it sounded like they were working backwards, like it, it was the Great Commission, but, but also that, yes, gospel gets you in, but then law is how you grow up, and that could be applied from a judicial uh, governmental point of view, mm. or that could be through coming through the church. And it just it sounded like the whole discipleship process was a little bit topsy-turvy. Yeah, I, I think it would be I worth agree. at some point in a future episode coming to nail that down. Well, they, really, they were bringing in the really worst important. points of, of neo-Calvinism at that level. I, I was, you know, the sphere of sovereignty slash kingdom happening in all these different spheres and, you know, the worst part, not all neo-Calvinists go that far, but, the, you know, that was the problematic side of it. And they were, they were going there and, yeah, I mean, there's a whole, I mean, we kind of covered it in the last episode at that level, but I think... Um, that stuff uh, is a problem as well. But the army just takes it that step further. Um, but uh, yeah, definitely would like to talk about discipleship for sure. That's where you'll see the place of the law in the Christian life. That's where uh, everyone gets to find out Nick is actually a neo-Calvinist. Uh, he was fronting the whole time and, you know, <laughs> <laughs> unless, I don't know, unless there's been a change. I remember Nick and I in, um, at each other's throats in India. <laughs> <laughs> on that issue what conversation was that again uh we've had it was, it, was, <laughs> <laughs> it was it was it was right before that massive spider thing crawled out of my my shirt and you said smack it off <laughs> i remember the spider <laughs> it was that time. it was that time all right anyway cool punishment um, bro you see if you do bad things bad things happen to you <laughs> proven covenant covenant of works bro um all right Thanks for everyone. Uh, uh, what did I even want to say? Goodbye. Thank you. Ciao. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye.
Thank mm-hmm. you.